The fact is we got no answer. Tonight on Global News Hour, the day after the province gives Surrey direction on a municipal police force, many are still confused on what will happen next. And the public has a right to know, and we need the public's help to find him. The warning from Vancouver police regarding the high-risk sex offender. Plus, we don't get that kind of thing here in East Van so much. Out enjoying this beautiful weather, the four-legged visitor that caught residents off guard. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. It's the day after the provincial government announced they were recommending the city of Surrey continue on with the transition to the Surrey Police Service. But the lack of a binding decision has created a great sense of confusion, with some now calling for a referendum on the matter. Here's Julia Foy with the latest. There was a party for the planet outside City Hall on Saturday, but it appeared there was also a party for the police. Both the Surrey Police Service and the RCMP had booths to connect with the community. Another sign that the battle for the badge isn't over. The fact is we got no answer. Mayor Brenda Locke is losing her voice after a hectic day of reacting to Solicitor General Mike Farnworth's announcement Friday. This strongly suggests the city should stay on the SBS track. This is one of the most difficult decisions that I've had to make as Solicitor General. If the city goes with the SBS recommendation, the province will consider paying up to $30 million a year to cover costs. But if Surrey stays with the RCMP, there will be no financial support to pay off the SBS bills. So disrespectful to my city and uh, I'm offended. And I think we deserve better in Surrey. I certainly think the good men and women of the RCMP and the Surrey Police Service deserved better. They didn't get it from this Solicitor General and that's shameful. A former Surrey RCMP member and city councillor thinks the money offer from the province doesn't add up. $30 million over five years is nothing close to what it's going to cost to keep pushing forward with a very expensive police force that really doesn't provide any tangible difference to public safety right now. For many Surrey residents, they can hardly see the forest for the trees. As long as we're safe, it doesn't matter. So RCMP or the police one is okay. It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Just want them to get on with it. Well, it's, it's absolutely stupid. It's the best decision ever made for you know, keeping the RCMP. As to whether residents will get a chance to vote in a referendum on the issue, don't hold your breath. There should have been a, a referendum. There should have been a business case made. I would say we're too late for the referendum. But, you know, everything is on the table because we have to digest what we just got handed on Friday. The party for the planet bodes well for the future, but the contentious policing issue may mean stormy weather is still ahead. Julia Foy, Global News. BC's police watchdog is investigating an officer-involved shooting in Saanich. It happened on Highway 17 near Vandalman Avenue around 9 p.m. on Friday. Saanich police says officers responded to a call for service, which led to a traffic stop. During the interaction with police, the driver of the vehicle was shot. The Independent Investigations Office says the driver was taken to hospital where he underwent surgery and he's now in stable condition. The IIL won't say whether he had a weapon or if he shot at officers. Because we don't want to taint uh, any witnesses whom haven't spoken to us yet, um, we're going to hold back the details of those very important questions at the time. 
was kind of a, a very different, a very different sound. So we thought it was gunfire. One shot. Too close to home, whatever went on up there. Yeah, because it was a loud bang, and I, you know, and that kind of startled me, and I jumped out of bed. As it all unfolded, nearby motorists were told to seek shelter in the area. The stretch of highway reopened at about 6 o'clock this morning. Anyone with information or video of the area is asked to contact the IIO. Delta police are investigating a gang-related shooting in a residential neighborhood. Police responded to reports of gunshots near 78B Avenue and 119th Street around 8 o'clock last night. One man was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police say he is known to investigators and the attack is related to the ongoing BC gang conflict. The suspect fled the scene in a dark SUV before officers arrived. Anyone who witnessed or may have video footage of the shooting is asked to contact Delta Police. Vancouver police are warning the public about a high-risk sex offender who also spent time behind bars for the violent assault of a senior. Kenneth Curtin vanished from his halfway house, and as Kristen Robinson reports, he's now wanted Canada-wide. 56-year-old Kenneth Nolan Curtin was living at this East Broadway halfway house before he went missing. He has disappeared from that halfway house. He signed out just after 4 p.m. on Friday, and he failed to return for his curfew, which is just after midnight. Curtin has been declared a dangerous offender, and police say he is considered a high risk to sexually offend. It's the fourth time in two years he's been the subject of a Canada-wide warrant for allegedly skipping his halfway house. Curtin also vanished in April of last year and in June and March of 2021. The public has a right to know and we need the public's help to find him. Curtin was convicted of sexual assault in 1987 and is serving a 10-year long-term supervision order. His criminal resume includes spousal assault and aggravated assault convictions. The latter dates back to March 2012. When Curtin entered a home in the 1500 block of Adenac Street in East Vancouver and violently attacked a 73 year old woman, stabbing her several times. He was sentenced to seven years in prison. This is a person who's got a history of violence, a history of sexual violence, um, and he's a considerable risk to uh, the community when his whereabouts are good for. Police have been monitoring Curtin's activities since March 2020. The healing lodge where he is required to reside, which has surveillance and an alarm system during curfew hours, declined to comment. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver Police and the BC Coroner Service are investigating a sudden death at a SkyTrain station. BPD says a person was found deceased at the Rupert SkyTrain station this morning after possibly going into medical distress. Trains did not stop at the Rupert station for several hours and traffic on the northbound lanes of Rupert Street between East Broadway and Grandview was closed while a forensics team and the coroner service carried out their investigation. Police say there was no risk to the public. And a serious crash on the Sea to Sky Highway today, about 12 kilometers south of Squamish, causing major backups for anyone heading north. Police say a motorcycle and car collided at Britannia Beach this morning. No word on injuries. It was reopened to traffic mid-afternoon. 
A BC elder says his First Nation is leaving him to live in squalor despite repeated requests for help. 77-year-old Walter Dunstan Campbell says he helped build his current home in 1981 and returned to it on the Musqueam Indian Band late last summer. After renting it out for several years to tenants, he discovered signs of hoarding, structural issues and black mold. He says it was declared condemned two months ago while he's continued to live there even though he's been begging the band for replacement housing for months. I'm not happy being treated like this, and I've never in my entire life ever asked for help, not once in my whole life. This is the only time I've asked, and, it, and they, they, they stalled me. I was stressed out. I, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm just wondering what I'm going to do. How long are my lungs going to last? How long is my health going to be like this? The Musqueam Indian Band provided a statement to Global News saying elders hold important roles in their community and seven departments have met to determine how to address this elder's needs and are offering supports. Campbell says he is yet to receive assistance or offers of new or alternative housing. The warm weather has prompted a special avalanche warning for anyone thinking of heading into country this weekend. Avalanche Canada says the rapid rise in temperatures has destabilized snowpacks and could trigger destructive avalanches. The snowpack in many of the ranges is average in depth, but there are many layers close to the base creating potential for more snow to come down. The advice is that anyone still deciding to head into the backcountry should understand the risks. Knowing where you stand with respect to avalanche terrain, and um, managing it appropriately. So sticking to very low angled slopes, um, keep, keep it to simple terrain and really avoid any sort of overhead exposure. So if you're getting to an area and you look up and you see clearings in the trees and, and uh, snow and, and mountains, that's not an area to be hanging out with. The riskiest areas are in the Rockies and Columbia Mountains, but if the weather stays warm, Conlon says it could extend to the coastal mountains as well. From snow to wildfires, there are 44 fires burning across B.C. right now. At least 17 new ones sparked in the past 24 hours alone. A fire outside of Merritt has currently led to the closure of Highway 97C from Logan Lake to Merritt. The Snake Road wildfire is about 5 kilometers outside of Merritt and is said to be about 20 hectares in size. Strong winds are fanning the flames. The largest wildfire right now is the dripping water fire in the caribou discovered on Thursday and it is said to be about 150 hectares about nine kilometers southeast of Alexis Creek and deemed to be out of control. And in another sign dry it is a grass fire broke out in West Kelowna this afternoon. Crews were called to Memorial Park near the skate park around 335 345 rather this afternoon. Witnesses say the flames took off quickly spreading into the bush. Now crews were able to get a handle on the small fire. No word on what started it.
Well, Yvonne is here now, and it is that time of year, but it seems a little sooner than usual. Yeah, and record-breaking heat. We saw 16 temperatures record fall today and counting for a few areas. Now, these are some preliminary numbers, but just to give you an idea, Kamloops, areas near Cash Creek and Ashcroft, old records back in 1957, getting over 30 degrees. Lytton today even topping out closer to 30.7. Kelowna was included within that. Areas in towards Vernon for the interior, Squamish as well, and even Prince George for the central interior, 24.5. Old record of 23.9 was set back in 1922. Record-breaking heat. We still have a change on the way, though. This will be along coastal areas for tomorrow. We are going to be tracking the return for some cooler temperatures, even some precipitation. But the heat will continue for the southern interior. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Julie? All right, thanks, Yvonne. The sunshine was great timing for the return of a popular outdoor event in the Tri-Cities. <laughs> Hundreds enjoying Rocky Point Park to either watch or participate in the fourth annual Inlet Spring Regatta in Port Moody. More than 30 teams are taking part in the first dragon boat race of the season. Everyone enjoying the return of the sun after several gloomy weeks of rain and overcast skies. Quite unexpected, but very welcome. And we're still in April. Yes, just about. Well, I think the weather is absolutely glorious, and I love Canada, I really do, and yeah. BC. Dragon boating is fantastic in any weather. We've had storms, we've had ice pellets in our eyes as we've gone out, but this weather is kind of, it's a, it's a fulfillment of all our dreams. It's like putting on a wedding for 35 couples, because that's how many teams we have here, and we crafted it so that each team would feel that they're wanted, needed, and accepted. Coming up on the news hour, the controversy around what's called ship breaking, what water samples are revealing on Vancouver Island, and how one scientist is leading the charge to stop the practice. And Thompson Rivers University is faced with a big decision regarding the future of one of its programs. We'll explain after the break. Some residents of a Vancouver Island community just south of Courtney are speaking out, saying a ship-breaking operation there is a threat to them and the local ecosystem. As Paul Johnson reports, they say new is confirming their greatest fears. There's an old, um, what looks like a camp barge, barge pulled in a month or so ago. Union Bay resident Ray Rucastle is showing us the ship-breaking operation that set up shop here a couple of years ago. Shipbreaking is pretty much what it sounds like, hauling obsolete vessels onto the shore and cutting them up for scrap. It's necessary work, but it's also dangerous and dirty. And Newcastle and his allies believe it doesn't belong in the Salish Sea. We need to put it in places that that shipbreaking belong, which is in industrial deep water ports with full containment so that all of the all of the chemicals and asbestos fibers, etc., are properly contained and then disposed of in, in a proper manner. Well, it's hardly the first time coastal residents have objected to some form of heavy industry in their backyard. The concerned citizens of Bain Sound have some compelling data points at hand. The chemicals found were some heavy metals, cadmium, copper, lead, and zinc. Vicki Marlad is a professor of environmental toxicology and biology at SFU. She's reviewed the results of several sampling operations as the provincial government carried out there. She believes they're scientifically valid and show the operation is a source of heavy metal contamination and at least one carcinogen. These levels were above 
the allowable British Columbia environmental quality guidelines, indicating they're um, posing a high risk to the aquatic life in the area. And aquatic life in the area includes commercial shellfish production and sensitive spawning grounds for herring. The company that runs the operation, Deep Water Recovery, declined an opportunity to talk to Global News. For Rucastle, they're just one part of the problem. The other is the provincial government, who he says has the data and the power to force them to clean up or shut down. The NDP don't seem to care one iota about what's going on here. Paul Johnson, Global News. The administration of Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops says the future of its Bachelor of Fine Arts program is not final. A letter from the university's provost and academic vice president says TRU is still in the middle of making a decision. That position is contrary to what faculty were led to believe in a meeting last week. One associate professor says she was told that students currently enrolled in the program would be able to graduate, but resources were being reallocated. That has some current students concerned about what that would mean for the future of fine arts in the Kamloops region. It makes me really worried for the future of the uh, art community in this town because it's supposed to be a um, avenue for artists to take to um, sort of enrich their, their careers and further their, their experience in town. A statement from Jillian Balfour, the provost, goes on to say that TRU leadership will hold a review to determine if the BFA and similar programs are sustainable. According to Balfour, institutions have been given a strong mandate to offer programs that provide students with immediate employment opportunities, quote, weighing the value of fine arts education against economic reality will neither be pleasant nor easy. The Vancouver Police Major Crime Section has taken over the investigation into the Kitsilano showboat fire, which gutted the iconic stage at Kitts Beach. Police say fire investigators deemed the April 22nd blaze suspicious, but no cause has been determined. The park board facility sustained major damage to its dressing room, backstage area and facade. A GoFundMe has raised around half of the $50,000 goal to help the nonprofit Kitsilano Showboat Society recover its losses and continue to showcase local and international talent. The park board has vowed to get the outdoor stage back up and running. The Kitsilano showboat hasn't missed a season since 1935 and volunteers are determined to get it rebuilt in time for summer performances. Coming up on Global News Hour, the latest on the strike by public servants and the federal government says their recent offer to the union was their final one. Will it be enough to end the job action? Stay with us. And an alarming new study is revealing the potential risks of repeated CT scans on children. More on that when we come back. The biggest strike in Canadian history is in its 11th day. Neither side has been able to resolve the labour dispute over wages and remote work. But as Mackenzie Gray reports, Ottawa says a final offer is on the table. It's day 11 of the public sector service strike and there does seem to be some movement at the negotiating table. Treasury Board has come out and announced that they have given their final offer to the Public Service Alliance of Canada in a strike that is impacting more than 150,000 federal public servants. One of the key issues at the bargaining table has been wages, and the Treasury Board has said that they have upped their offer when it comes to that. 
Previously, they were offering 9% wage increase over three years. The union has countered back with a 13.5% wage increase over three years. They say that keeps up with inflation. But over the past couple of days, the union has said they have moved off of that number to try to meet the federal government when it comes to wages. There are a number of other key issues, too, that have been negotiated at the table. And the federal government says with this final offer that they put on the table, it has addressed all of them. A big one being work from home as well. That is something the federal government says they have worked on. The union has been pushing them to enshrine in the collective agreement that the right to work from home can be there. That means that they could be grieved, the federal government could be grieved, if managers say that certain employees could not. There is one new thing, though, that the federal government is calling on the union to do, which is putting this to a vote with the members, saying that this is the final offer and that this should be something that the members of the union, not just the leadership of the union, should make a decision on. Now, if they do not put that forward, the union does not put that forward, that certainly does increase the chances that the federal government could bring in back-to-work legislation. Now, the NDP and the Bloc have said that they would not support that. That means the Liberals would need help from the Conservatives on this issue. And we spoke to the former head of the Privy Council, who said he believes the Conservatives would support back-to-work legislation. It would be surprising and, and somewhat shocking if the Conservatives used this to trigger an unnecessary $600 million June election. So I think we can expect that back-to-work legislation will pass. The government has said that that would be a last-case resort, that they'd rather settle this at the negotiating table, and there does seem to be some hope around that. Both the union and the Treasury Board are still negotiating throughout the weekend. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. In Health Matters, a new study is underscoring potential risks that come with repeated CT scans. Its use in children has been on the rise in recent decades. But as Catherine Ward reports, data show that repeated use in children and youth can increase the risk of cancer. Experts have been aware for some time that CT scans are something to be used judiciously when treating a patient. CT scans have really been one of the miracles of modern medicine. But like any test, they do have their own risks. Dr. James Whitlock says the cost-benefit analysis is a constant conversation among medical teams, especially when it comes to treating children. CT scans use ionizing radiation. Ionizing radiation can damage DNA and lead to um, a small but real increased risk of subsequent development of cancers. For some CT scans, a child might also need sedation. Patients who undergo repeated episodes of sedation um, may have increased risk for um, cognitive outcomes. There's also the risk of reactions to the contrast material that may be given with the CT scan. A new study out of Taiwan looked at data from thousands of children fighting intracranial tumors, leukemia, or lymphoma between 2000 and 2013. They found that those who had four or more CT scans had more than double of developing some forms of cancer. This study really confirms what we've we've known for quite a while, um, but also frames it in a way that is a bit more easily digestible in terms of, you know, four or more CT scans doubles the risk of intracranial tumors, for example. So it makes it a bit more accessible to most people. Radiologist Dr. John Donlan says it's important for medical teams to look at all treatment possibilities. If a child needs to have a study that involves ionizing radiation, number one, we ask ourselves, is there any other way of getting that information using a different modality, such as MRI, for example? Because MRI does not have any ionizing radiation at all. And for families to keep track of the care that's been received, including the amount of radiation which is a lot more telling because we know basically what some of the thresholds are, that if you reach a certain amount of radiation exposure, that your risk goes up.
kind of a proxy for that is the number of CT scans. But as a, a physician who works in radiology, what's much more interesting to me is the actual dose that the patient receives with each of those studies. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. Coming up on the news hour, casually on the loops. A bear just out for a stroll, creating a huge police presence in East Vancouver. Stay with us. Vaughn is back, and you must be a popular person today. <laughs> it's nice to be the messenger on days like this, Julie, right? And we're kind of overdue for some heat. But yes, yeah, a hot one today. Some of the hottest temperatures that we've seen so far this year and that record-breaking heat. We had that at the beginning of the show, but it's still very pleasant, especially if you're out and about through the evening hours. Temperatures are still sitting into the low 20s. This is reported out of the airport. A look at Metro Vancouver and out of the airport in terms of our records. Not for us, though, 22. A record would be 24, and that was set back in 1976. The average for this time of the year sits closer to 15, and we'll look for the sunset this evening at around 8.26 officially. Now, this is the weather maker that is going to move in for tomorrow. All areas along the coast will be impacted by this frontal system that is going to push in. An increase in cloud cover as early as the morning hours, and then a chance for some showers will start to push in as we get in towards the afternoon. With the warm temperatures, just a reminder, the high stream flow advisory, all areas that are indicated in yellow the flood watch and that's popped up for the middle freezer and we'll be watching that very closely in the coming days the areas for the middle freezer underneath the flood watch may exceed bankful so stay tuned and be prepared we'll be watching that in the coming days especially with these warm temperatures now areas for tomorrow we'll see scattered showers right along the island the interior for the thompson okanagan southeastern corners of the province will be hanging on to that sunshine for most areas along the columbian kootenai a bit of instability on monday and then by tuesday wednesday we'll rebound and we'll be back into that sunshine temperature trend we can see it a touch cooler for tomorrow so do keep that in mind if you do have plans we'll have that cloud cover rolling in we'll be into the upper 20s or upper teens rather and closer to 20 degrees into early next week and it's the interior that will continue to hang on to that heat if temperatures into the upper 20s now coastal areas will bump up to 10 degrees much of the central interior with that sunshine similar for the southeastern corners of the province castlegar tomorrow still getting closer to 29 degrees and the thompson okanagan with highs up to 20 it's just a 30% chance for some showers for most areas across that region. Along the coast and the island, we'll see a different weather picture for tomorrow. Increase in cloud cover, a chance of showers through the day, 40% chance for most areas extending into the Fraser Valley. For Monday, we will see some cloud cover. A clearing is on the way towards the evening. Tuesday, Wednesday, so far, Julie will rebound back into some sunshine. Highs closer to 17 and 18 degrees. Back to you. All right, thanks, Yvonne. A large wandering bear sparked a big police presence on the Vancouver North Burnaby border today. The bear was first spotted shortly after 2 p.m. taking a walk near Boundary Road and Trinity Street in East Vancouver. A homeowner's surveillance camera captured the animal casually moving across the front lawn and checking out the garden. The VPD <laughs> began tracking the bear, warning people to use caution and give it space until it returned to the wild. I heard a bunch of shouting and I heard a, I heard a siren and so a police over, over like the whatever speaker that they had and all of a sudden I was looking outside, the neighbours were going outside and I looked out front and someone said there was a bear, which was a big surprise. And then when I played back uh, the security camera from out front, he was literally right up by the front door checking out the bird feeders. Shortly before 5 this afternoon, police announced the bear had made its way back into the woods. Well, he'd been sleeping for a few months. A little groggy. Wasn't is my dream and he wasn't sure where he was. Angry. Looking for
for a snack. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not dreaming. You're here. And yeah. what have you got coming Luck, up? Lucky you guys. Yes. Yeah. This is this is real. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful day, as uh, Yvonne has uh, told us. And uh, they have the roof off tonight for the Whitecaps. So that's nice for fans to see if uh, Vancouver can win yet again against Colorado. Ace Roman's going to have a little preview for us down at BC Place. It should be a great battle in the Western Hockey League Western Conference. Kamloops Blazers and Seattle Thunderbirds, two of the best teams in the country, and uh, they're going head-to-head, -head, so we'll preview that as well. Coming That'll up. be quite the series. All right, mm -hmm. thanks, Barry. Well, it's a challenging time to be a post-secondary student coming up. While financial pressures are mounting, it's even more difficult for students how some are trying to make ends meet when we come back. By now, Canadians know all too well the toll inflation is taking as the cost of everything from the cost of groceries to gas. It's also posing some especially unique challenges for post-secondary students trying to study in this country. Alicia Drouse has more. Cost of groceries is a huge one. Um, cost of gas, too. Like all Canadians, university students are being hit hard by... And while April exam season is now wrapping up, the financial pressure made it extra challenging for many this year. I'm at school full time and then having two separate part-time jobs uh, doesn't leave a ton of time for stuff like studying, stuff like exam prep. Graduate student Shirei Lee feels the same. Instead of focusing on school, she spent much of the year seeking extra tutoring opportunities to cover costs. I live on my stipend from my master's degree um, and that. Um, looking at the inflation rate right now and the expense of living, the stipend does not cover the cost at all. In addition to the rising cost of living, there's also the rising cost of tuition. In Canada, on average, tuition has increased 22.5% over the last decade. During the same time, entrance scholarships have largely remained unchanged. Most scholarships are donor-based and therefore can't be adjusted to inflation. But bursaries can, and many universities are doing just that. McGill increased its average annual aid to students by 45% since 2018. Western University has also increased their bursary program several times over the past three years to accommodate increases to the cost of living. And for those struggling throughout the year, food banks have sprung up at universities across the country, like this one at Dalhousie, which has seen an increase in students over the past few months. So predominantly, we had a really big group of international students with, you know, a smaller group from domestic. But it's lately it's a lot of domestic students and their stories are all the same. It's like, I thought I could make it through. I thought I could do this. As another school year comes to an end, the focus now for many students turns to summer employment to save up as much as they can for next year. Alicia Drouse, Global News, Halifax. For months, Iranian Canadians in BC have been holding weekly protests at the Vancouver Art Gallery, gallery rather, against the Islamic Republic. Today, a large crowd gathering once again. This time, they're joining thousands in the UK. Nagar Maushtahadi reports. Hundreds of people back at the Vancouver Art Gallery Saturday afternoon to demonstrate against the Islamic Republic. United will never be defeated. Iranians in BC's diaspora are making a statement, showing their solidarity with the people of Iran fighting for their freedoms. <laughs> the regime pushing back, saying they will identify women who take off their hijabs through facial recognition. But today, a group of women defying that order in Tehran, cruising on motorcycles, letting their hair down. What may seem like a simple act 
could actually put their lives at risk. It's now been almost eight months since uprisings began in Iran after the in-custody death of Massa Gina Amini for reportedly not wearing her compulsory hijab properly. Hundreds since then, British Columbians have come out nearly every week, taking part in the anti-regime rally. It's so hard when you grow up after nine, you have to wear hijab, and like they pushing you to like be a like housewife in a school. Saturday's protest coinciding with a massive demonstration in London, demanding the British government designate Iran's Revolutionary Guards as a terrorist organization, doing what the U.S. has already done. Iranian British journalist and human rights activist Vahid Beheshti has become the face of that campaign after setting up camp outside the British Foreign Embassy, where he's on day 66 of his hunger strike. I asked our government 66 days ago, to stand strong in front of the terrorists. People demonstrating here asking the federal government for the same thing. The spy agency says it's investigating what it calls multiple credible death threats from Iran aimed at Canadians. IRGC was the organization behind shooting down the Ukrainian flight PS752 uh, close to 175, 72 people were killed. Among them were many Canadian. So if this is not a terrorist act, what else should be done? Negar Moshehedi, Global News. The WHL Western Conference final should be some incredible hockey. Coming up on the news hour, looking ahead to round three and the series between the Kamloops Blazers and the Seattle Thunderbirds. Stay with us. Head to the North Okanagan for Vernon Comic Con. On May 6th, join Vernon's own gathering of collectors and fans of all things comics, gaming, sci-fi, fantasy, literature, cosplay, and more. So be sure to dress in character and be part of this all-ages event. Head to the Queen Elizabeth Theater and rediscover Cats, the beloved musical with breathtaking music, featuring new sound design, direction, and choreography for a new generation. BroadwayAcrossCanada.ca for info. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by MarBC. Support a sustainable BC and recycle your end-of-life, large appliances, and help keep BC green. Barry is back. Mm -hmm. What you got? Well, we got a lot of soccer with the Whitecaps tonight, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Thanks, Julie. The uh, Caps get back at it tonight after getting last week off. Vancouver is unbeaten in its last six MLS matches, two wins, four draws, and they have pitched three shutouts in those uh, in their last three games. They'll look to keep the good times rolling versus Colorado FC. 7:30 kickoff. The radio voice of the Whitecaps, Asa Raymond, is standing by at BC Place with a preview. Yeah, Barry, it's gorgeous out. It's hot. The roof is open here at BC Place. The fans are starting to file in. Should be a great game. And it's streaking weather, obviously, with how hot it is and fitting with two teams coming into this one on hot streaks. Uh, both teams riding unbeaten streaks heading into it. The Whitecaps unbeaten in their last six and the Colorado Rapids unbeaten in their last five. Should be a great game. And to help me tee it up, I'm joined by my co for this match, Colin Miller, an important game with the Whitecaps in eighth place heading into this game. How big is it for them to pick up the full three points? I'm just glad you didn't want me to start streaking there, Asa, <laughs> the way you introduced us there. Uh, I think it's very important. Every home game, of course, as we know, is very, very important. Both teams are 
are riding a, a good string of form. You know, I, I know the Whitecaps would love to have had a couple of wins in amongst those draws, of course. But the home games, they become very important. We're in the middle of this pack here at the moment uh, in, the, in the MLS West that I think we can win. I think we can finish on top of this pack, probably in the fourth place. I know I'm reaching out a wee bit there, but uh, I think is going to have a lot uh, to decide and how that uh, pans out in the end. All right. Well, I'd love to see some goals here at BC Place. Just a few weeks ago, the Whitecaps scored five against Montreal, hoping for a similar result here against Colorado. We'll have the coverage on AM 7.30 kickoff just after 7.30. All right, thanks, guys. Canadian Premier League, Vancouver FC, way out in Nova Scotia today, taking on Halifax Wanderers. Vancouver was down, but a beautiful cross into the box, finished off by Sean Hundal and Vancouver get the 1-1 draw. They were 1-1-1 through three matches, and they play their much-awaited home opener at their new stadium in Langley next Sunday, 4 o'clock, versus Cavalry FC out of Calgary. Abbotsford Canucks could easily be coming home up 2-0 in their second-round AHL series against the Calgary Wranglers. Instead, they're down 2-0, another strong Saddledome road effort that again went to overtime. Wranglers won at 4-3 to make Game 3 in Abbotsford this Wednesday, a must-win for the baby Canucks. Arthur Silovs was uh, good, made 38 stops last night. Rookie Arshdeep Baines single-handedly brought the Canucks back from a 1-0 deficit, scored two short-handed goals than a minute apart on the same penalty. Beautiful patience to score that last one. Second period, Tristan Nielsen, former Vancouver Giant, scores on the breakaway. Abby looked in good shape up 3-1, but penalties really cost them. Calgary had nine power plays. They would tie the game and then win it on a power play in overtime. Matthew Phillips with the game winner. 4-3 Wranglers lead the best of 5-2-0. Game three Wednesday in Abby, a 7 o'clock start. A must win for the Canucks. The Kamloops Blazers know they will be in the Memorial Cup as hosts next month, but they can have a say on whether the Seattle Thunderbirds get there. Seattle is loaded up to win it all, too. And these two teams begin the best of seven Western Conference Finals tonight in Seattle in what should be an epic battle. Trying to get away here. Take a bump. Got it into the corner. Back door. Stay covered. There is no shot firepower or star power in the WHL's Western Conference Finals this year. The Thunderbirds and Blazers finished 1-2 in the standings during the regular season and both have gone a perfect 8-0 through two rounds of the playoffs. And now they go head-to-head -head in the conference final for the second straight year. Last season, Seattle won Game 7 in Kamloops before losing the Western League Championship versus Edmonton. This year, the Blazers are guaranteed a spot in next month's Memorial Cup as the hosts, but they want to go in as Western Hockey League champs, and that means beating the Thunderbirds in this series. It's nice that we're already in the Memorial Cup, but that doesn't mean that uh, we're just going to go out there and just play the game. We're going to go out there. We want to we wanna win our way there, like I've said uh, many times. These teams and players know each other well, and not just from facing off against each other, but playing alongside each other. There are nine members of Canada's World Junior Team playing in this series. Six for Seattle, three for Kamloops. Along with Stan Coven, defenseman Olin Zellweger and forward Caden Bankier are on the Blazers. The key Thunderbirds are sniper Dylan Gunther, who scored the golden goal in overtime, and Canada's backstopper Annette, Thomas Millich. We've went over a few things uh, in the dressing room there, um, you know, little keys to try and kind of pick them apart a bit. But uh, like I said before, he's, he's going to be a tough goalie to beat. So um, we're going to have to find ways to 
I, you know, get pucks and bodies to the net and then uh, hopefully get uh, secondary chances. Even though these young men shared a special moment winning gold for Canada this past January, those friendships will be put on ice for the next two weeks. It's cool, you know, I, don't, I know quite a few guys on that team. It's, it's not really like that, you know, when we're on the ice, I don't, I don't care if we play together, you know. We're going to do whatever it takes to, to beat these guys. There's really, you know, friends in this series. There's no friends in hockey. Uh, under 18 World Hockey Semis from Switzerland, Nanaimo's Matthew Wood in Canada taking on Sweden. New Wallop, Canada 8-0 in the tournament opener last week. Better start this time, Vancouver's Max Celebrini, the uh, son of former Canuck Whitecap and current Golden State Warriors athletic therapy guru Rick Celebrini, 1-0 Canada, but it was all Sweden after that. David Edstrom showing off his skill makes it 4-2 for the Swedes. And then late in the second, Captain Otto Stenberg with his second goal and fifth point. Sweden blasts Canada again, 7-2. So it'll be Sweden and the USA for gold. Canada plays for bronze against Slovakia, 6 a.m. our time tomorrow. Stanley Cup playoffs. Will this be the night the Leafs finally finish the job? They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. Game six in Tampa. No scoring until this one by Austin Matthews with six minutes to go in the second. His fifth of the series, one nothing Leafs. But another Southern Ontario kid, Steven Stamkos. He's scored a few big ones in the playoffs over the years. Ties it at one. They're through regulation, so they're going to overtime. So the Leafs are a goal away of advancing to the second round. Devils and Rangers from Madison Square Garden. Jersey's won three straight after dropping games one and two at home. First period, it's the former Canuck. Vernon, B.C. boy Curtis Lazar who pots the rebound. His first of these playoffs, but the Rangers have roared back, and they lead 3-1 late in the second. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Mariners from Toronto. Kevin Gosman, outstanding again. He went seven shutout innings, struck out a career-high 13. The Jays pitchers today whiffed 19 Mariners on the day. But Seattle rookie Easton McGee making his first Major League start, just the second appearance ever. He no-hit the Jays for six and two-thirds innings before Matt Chapman broke it up in the seventh. So it went to extras, still no scoring until... Varsho ends it with a bases loaded hit to right center. Toronto had just three hits, two of them in the 10th inning. Their pitchers fantastic again. Jays have won six in a row. They beat the Mariners 1-0. Toronto is now 18-9 this season. And we'll finish with some tennis from Madrid, Spain. Clay court season well underway. Montreal's Felix Auger-Aliassime taking on Serbia's Dusan Lahojevic. Felix coming off a three-week layoff to rest to sore knee. Nice drop shot there. Took the second set after dropping the first. Went to a tie break in the third. Felix fought off five match points, but on the sixth, Lohoyevich pounds the forehand winner. So Felix is done in Madrid. Now his good buddy Denis Shapovalov then took on China's Zhang Zhizhen. Denis takes the opening set thanks to this overhead smash. But he dropped the second set, and then Zhang would win the third also in a tie break. As he has the put away at net, he wins in three sets. So no Canadians left in singles, men's or women's, in Madrid. And that is it for sports. All right, thanks, mm -hmm. Barry. Well, still to come on the news hour, if you've ever had a desire to do autocross racing, here's your chance. Stay with us. It's far from BBC's Top Gear, but auto buffs in the Okanagan now have an outlet for their passion this summer thanks to the Okanagan Precision Autocross. Kimberly Davidson takes us for a ride. This is Autocross. 
kind of you know been defined as the gateway drug into auto racing. The motorsport uses traffic cones in a paved lot to produce a small course for competitive events. It allows people to come out, push their car to the limit in a safe, fun environment. You can be as competitive as you want or just have as much fun as you want here, so it's very easy. The Okanagan Precision Driving Association puts on these events, and anyone with almost any type of car can become a member and try it out. We did an intro course that Amanda was coaching at, and that's how we met, and that's how I fell in love with the sport. So here I am for my... The idea is simple. Make it through the course as quickly as you can without moving or knocking over a cone. Car modifications are allowed, but times are adjusted for horsepower and handling advantages. That's the thing, you're competing with other people, but you're mostly competing with yourself. So every one, I want to try to get a little faster than the last one. And everyone's best run of the day goes towards their season's points accumulation. There's nothing else to worry about in the world when you're racing a car. And if competitive driving is not for you, Okanagan Autocross is always looking for volunteers. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. That would be fun. Yeah. I think, Yvonne, this is... Uh, your, is I think, you I think, think this is right up I my think alley? you in one of those helmets and your... <laughs> You used, what did you used to have? You used to have a mini. Yeah, that one that I was a little really bit quick. Zip around. Yeah. I yeah. You'd be yeah. good at that. <laughs> Not me, I go slowly. And still a good yeah. night to drive with the top down. Yeah, it's perfect out there. Uh, we've got a hot, uh, still a warm evening tonight. Bit of a blip, though, will be for tomorrow and really towards the afternoon and early evenings. And we'll start to see that chance for some showers. It'll be cooler for tomorrow, and then it'll be back into some sunshine for a Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay, good to hear. All right, well, thanks so much for being with us. Have a great night. Good night. <laughs>